everyone, my name is CJ and welcome to The Crashdown. Today we're talking about episode 6, entitled 285 South, and it's one of my personal favorites for so many reasons. We have a road trip, which can't be complete without at least a couple of very coincidental car incidents. We have a very convenient assignment assigned to all of our main cast members which results in weird, wacky pair-ups, so we get to see different characters interact. We finally see this mystery of the key moving forward. We've been focusing on it for weeks. Finally, we're going to figure out what is going on with that. We get a very bitter Kyle in this episode. Now that he's broken up with Liz, he does not have to play nice, and he's definitely not going to. Valenti is still with them as well, getting ever, ever closer to their secret. So let's get started. The episode opens with good old Michael. Of course, it's going to be one of my favorite episodes. Of course, it's going to be featuring Michael. So it's a very low rent Mission Impossible opening. He is breaking in to the UFO center. We see him sneaking around and then going into the office to look for more information on Atherton. That's right. At the end of our last episode, he finally figured out what this key might open. He sees a picture in the back of a book that looks just like that dome that he's been drawing all the time. And they finally have a name and a location. Marathon, Texas. Michael needs more information. They finally have a lead. A real lead and not just one that he's imagining. So he goes onto their computer and searches through their files and then goes to print off an article about him. But who's waiting in the office? Milton. He had fallen asleep there. And as soon as that printer goes off, he wakes up and rounds in on Michael. And just when you think Michael might escape, because I'm pretty sure he could take Milton, one of the sheriff deputies shows up. I guess a silent alarm had gone off. And so he was there, gun drawn, and Michael is arrested. That's breaking and entering, my friend. In school, all our characters just conveniently happen to be in the same class, and there's a new assignment. They have to investigate each other's secrets. Whoa, isn't that convenient for the plot? It turns out their teacher wants them to be historians, be biographers. He's going to pair them up, and he has prepared a whole list of questions that he wants all the students to ask each other. And this is where those weird pair-ups start. He assigns Liz to Evans, and she's all excited until she learns that's Isabel Evans. Max is paired up with Kyle. Uh-oh, jealous ex and potential new beau. I don't think that's going to go well. And then you've got Maria, who is paired up with Garen. That's right, Michael. Except, wait, he's not in class. I wonder where he could be. Oh, that's right. He's in jail. <laughs> and he ends up using his one phone call to call Max. So Max has to head down there and Milton's in distress. He's running his hand through his hair. He's sweating bullets. He's talking about having this guy charged because he's obviously a liar. Michael told him that he was there as a favor to Max. Hmm, once again... Michael screws up and he has to clean up the mess, but of course he's going to cover for him and says, oh yes, I definitely asked him to get something and Michael lost the key and that's why he broke in and Milton is very disappointed in him. But if no charges are going to be pressed, the sheriff and the deputies have to let him go. Except 
when someone's processed, all their possessions are taken away. So those pieces of paper that he shoved into his jacket, Sheriff Valenti made himself a copy before he returned them. That's what I mean when he's getting closer than ever. The first lead that Michael ever has. And guess what? Now Sheriff Valenti has it too. Good going. Michael could have just asked Max the next day to go and print it off. And maybe Max would have said no. But I think it's much better that just Max is in control as opposed to now the owner of the UFO center knows about it. The police chief knows about it. And whoever else decides to look at this file. It's crazy. Michael is not deterred, though. He got what he wanted. He doesn't care. He didn't get in trouble. They let him go. He's not really big with consequences. If those don't stick, then he hasn't really learned his lesson, and he's going to keep pushing forward. Outside, on the school bleachers, like out near their fields, I don't know if they play football there for the track field, I don't know, but out on these bleachers, he is begging Isabel and Max please reconsider. Please give me the keys to the Jeep. I can go right now. I can get there before anyone else. They definitely will not do this though. Michael stalks off like he usually does at the end of these arguments, but as we've seen before, he doesn't take orders from anyone. And you can see the wheels in his brain start turning when he gets that confused look on his face. I think that's his thinking face. And so he's going to come up with a plan. As Michael's stalking away through the parking lot, we see Maria pull in in good old mom's Jetta. She basically jumps out and runs at him because she is not going to fail this assignment because of him. So she is going to ask him a million questions and she starts in on the list. And maybe I'll go through some people's answers. These are not quite as interesting as people's future jobs. But I will say this, Miss Topolsky did have her hand in this as well. We learn that the teacher actually got the list of questions from her, and she suggested the pairings. Hmm, I wonder if that's why there's so much friction. She wants to see some fireworks. When these kids are working together, she doesn't have a shot. But when they're splintered, she can maybe pull one of them off, or maybe one of them will let something slip, and then she'll be on them. Michael, though, doesn't want to give Maria the time of day, until she's waving her arms in front of him, and he hears her keys jingling. That's right, Maria has to drop off some stuff for her mom. You know, all those weird alien gift shop junk things? I mean, precious, precious souvenirs that she creates from love. Yes, those things. She has to drop them off at that rest stop in the middle of nowhere. And Michael says he'll come along for the ride, but if he's going to get a ride, he has to answer questions. This is bringing him one step closer to Marathon and one step closer to his goal, so... Of course, he's got to agree. That's our first pairing, and I would say that's the main pairing in this episode. They're really going to drive the rest of the plot. I didn't mean for that to be a pun, but it totally is, and we'll get there. But our second really, I guess, awkward pair-up would have to be Max and Kyle. They agree to meet at the crashdown later that night to just plow through this stuff. And the whole time, Max just wants to get this over with, and Kyle is being almost... I would have to say he's being really aggressive. It's not quite passive-aggressive. It, it crosses the line a couple times. He gets in some digs here and there, but he is so bitter. Oh, he's so mad. He just knows this guy is the reason that Liz broke up with him, and so he's going to do whatever he can to make his life miserable. 
So one of the questions that Max asks Kyle is, what's your favorite TV show? And he answers, America's Most Wanted. Really? Yeah, he watches it with his dad. I love it. You get a little bit more Cher Valenti-Kyle relationship in this episode. But at the same time he's saying it, that it's really sweet, he's so sarcastic about it too. Oh, he's super sarcastic. And then he turns it back on Max. Okay, what's the best thing that ever happened to you? And Max gets really real. He's like, I guess I would have to say getting adopted. And Kyle just does not like this honesty. He doesn't like that it's something sad and vulnerable. And when Max asks him what the best thing that happened to him was, he would say winning the statewide junior rifle competition. Those are Kyle's priorities. He's a very sporty guy. And I think he also wanted to make that little dig of, hey, look, I'm really good at shooting stuff. Also at the crashdown are Isabel and Liz. Of course, Liz would be there. And when Isabel asks her her favorite ice cream, she says vanilla, and Isabel is not impressed. Of course, this boring, plain girl would choose vanilla. But then this is why I love Liz, because my favorite ice cream flavor is vanilla. Sure, give me some maple pecan or, you know, a cherries jubilee or something. But my default, if I had to pick, would just be vanilla. I like it. It's creamy and smooth. If I want to have chocolate, I'll just eat straight up chocolate. I don't want chocolate ice cream. I don't want chocolate cake. If I want chocolate, I want real chocolate. Isabel is so bored by this answer, and she can tell that Liz is not paying attention at all. She keeps looking over at Kyle and Max. So Isabel just shoves a bottle of ketchup at her and says, Here, pretend to bring them this. Like, (laughs) maybe if she just goes over, they can get it over with. So... Cut to Liz walking over and just awkwardly slamming the ketchup bottle down on the table saying, Oh, I brought you this. Kyle is going to use this opportunity for mischief, though. He scans down the page and sees question number eight. And he asks Max, Have you ever been in love? And Liz is just standing there looking all doe-eyed, staring at him expectantly. And he says, No. And all the way her face falls and just Kyle, like, rubbing it in. He's going to gloat. And... I it it breaks my heart a little bit to see him gloating like this because I do really like Kyle. I think he's a really sweet guy, but I think he's in a lot of pain. And I understand that when people are in pain, they lash out. And that's what he's doing right now. He can't process it. He has this thought, Max is the reason, and if I can destroy that reason, maybe she'll take me back. Very bad philosophy, though. You should never want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with you. It's only going to cause pain. You could never make someone love you. You can't trick someone. You can't force them. You can't bribe them. You can bribe their time and attention for a short time, but you will never get that bond or satisfaction that you're looking for. Getting deep again, guys. I can't help it. Love just does this to me. I have very strong feelings about love. Even though I'm a jaded, hopeless romantic, I'm both, you guys. But speaking of... Maria has now arrived at this rest stop, and she asked Michael to help her unload these boxes, but he's got a bad back. He's not going to do anything. Nope, bad back, can't help. So she lugs these things over and basically asks for cash on delivery. But Michael uses this opportunity to jump out around the car and basically start to take off. Maria, though, runs in front of the car because, like she said before, the key to her and her mother's relationship is not destroying this car and she tries to convince him not to go or to give it back but michael is going to go no matter what 
So wherever the car goes, Maria goes, and she just hops in. Maria, though, is all in a tizzy. She's yelling and waving her arms about how he's stealing her car. And he says, no, he's just borrowing it. And she's like, you're kidnapping me. No, wait, abducting me. Ah, she's so mad. And he never even answered her questions after all of this. He just kept giving her stupid answers. Like, what was his favorite TV show? The View. He likes it. It gets him in touch with his feminine side. Oh, Michael, smart-alecky Michael. Maria cannot believe that he would sink this far, though. And she acts really quickly. I said earlier in a past episode that there would be so many problems solved if there was a cell phone. Well, Maria's got one. And very discreetly, she dials Liz and then just starts talking really loudly about how nervous she is about being alone in a car with Michael and how far are they even gonna go south on 285. Liz kind of can't figure out what's going on, though. And she just keeps saying, like, what? You're there with Michael? You're going where? What's going on? But Isabel hears. Michael found a car, and she knows exactly what's going on. She knows exactly where he's heading. So she runs and grabs Max and kind of whispers to him what's going on. But Liz wants to know what's happening. Maria is in that car. This does involve her now. So when Isabel and Max jump in their Jeep outside to take off after him, she tries to climb in too. Max does not want her coming, though, until Kyle wanders outside. He's not just going to let the three of them take off without trying to find out what's going on. And then he antagonizes them again. Trouble in paradise so soon? And that's when Max changes his mind. Okay, get in. And the three of them take off down the road. We see, though, that Kyle isn't the only one watching them pull away. There's a strange man in a suit in a nice car who immediately picks up his phone and reports to Topolsky. She tells him to follow them, and then sends an email herself to her superiors about how she's so close and just waiting for this break. The trio, Max, Isabel, and Liz, all call their parents and basically pull that ploy of, oh, I'm studying at Maria's, and Maria's studying at my house, and Isabel's going to Liz's house, and Max is going to Michael's house. So all their parents think that they are with someone else. And Isabel kind of condescends to Liz. Like, oh, the good Liz Parker lying to her parents. And Liz is like, well, at least they know what species I am. Which, ouch, but true. Don't be mean like that. Meanwhile, Michael and Maria are still bickering away like an old married couple. She is telling him to stop the car and to turn around and that he's going to get arrested for crossing estate lines with a minor in a stolen car, no less. Michael, though, says it's always all about her, that she just needs to calm down. This might be the most important day of his life. She asks him, what does he mean by that? And he says, you wouldn't understand. But then a cop flashes their lights and sirens, and Michael has to pull over. And he's just like, oh, he's fuming right now. He is so mad. Of course, everything always goes wrong for him. Maria tells him, though, look, you have like 30 seconds to explain. And then he tells her what's going on, that they're on their way to Marathon, Texas, that this is the first lead he's ever had about where he comes from. So when the cop gets to the window, she has to make a decision. Is she going to rat him out, get her car back and go home? No. She tells the cop he was speeding because she just drank a big gulp and she really had to pee. And he was just rushing so that they could get to the next rest stop so that she could pee. 
and again Maria comes through in a clutch. When the chips are down, if she understands why you're doing what you're doing, she's going to help you. And now they do get a ticket, but he doesn't ask about the car and they go on their way. And I love the moment as the cop's writing this ticket and Maria's just told her story and she kind of sits back and kind of smiles to herself. And then there's a smirk on Michael's face and not like a condescending one, but just like a, huh, thanks, or I can't believe she did that. Maria, though, is not just doing this out of the goodness of her heart. She tells him he owes her big. Seriously, that would have been the end. He'd earlier that day already been arrested for breaking and entering. What do you think would happen if later in that day he's arrested for stealing a car and abducting a minor? Oh, Michael, he really does. Michael really pushes the limits. I said the other day that I might be willing to take risks more so than the aliens in this show. Well, I don't think I take more risks than Michael. Just really quickly, I also have to give a brief update about Maria's hair. It's gotten slightly long enough in this episode that she's able to flip it out at the back. The top is slicked down, but it's almost a bob now that's been spiked out with a hardening product. It looks like gel. It does not look smooth. It's Something is keeping this hair in this position, and I don't think it's hairspray. But I would like to think that it's a slight improvement. She does look a little bit girlier. She's got a little bit of a barrette in her hair to keep the bangs back. But I thought she looked good. Michael's hair, however, looked like a bit of a helmet. Fluffed up in all directions, not quite spiked. I don't know. We'll keep an update on that, too. Out on the road, though, Michael pushes the car too hard. Maria had told him that the engine couldn't take it. And he overheats the engine. It starts smoking and they have to pull over. Maria says, now is the perfect time to use your powers. But he can't. He's not good at controlling his. But she basically demands that he tries anyway. And so when he gets out and walks to the front, he looks utterly clueless. And when he does his little waving of his hands, there are sparks that come out and it's just that much worse. He says they have to stop for the night and that he'll take the back seat and she can take the front seat. But she is not sleeping in a car. So they see right nearby, like literally like 10 yards away, there's a sign for a motel and they get a room. It seems like there's only one left though and they are given the Arabian Nights room. It looks very I Dream of Genie. Maria actually calls it the porno Aladdin. I think that's pretty apt. There's silk scarves hanging around the room, decorative pillows, there's like a gold lamp on the wall. And only one bed. To pass the time and as thanks, Maria wants to get back into these questions. She is not going to fail just because he decided to abduct her. So she asks him what's his favorite ice cream. And it's pistachio. His favorite TV show is Win Ben Stein's Money. And his favorite book is Ulysses by James Joyce. Maria absolutely does not believe him until he recites a quote and can actually tell her the page number that it came from and I think you saw this earlier when Isabel was speed reading that alien book Michael must have the same power and so she asks him if you're so smart why are you failing all your classes but he just says is that on the list I'm not answering any personal questions and she goes well maybe it's this question what are you afraid of but he won't answer she does demand one though after all she's done for him after covering, he can answer one question for her. And the question that she chooses is, 
Why is this so important to you? Why is getting to Marathon, Texas and finding out where you came from so important? And he tells her, it's because his whole life he's always believed there's got to be something better out there than Roswell, New Mexico. And Maria kind of chuckles. At first, Michael's offended, but then she explains she used to do the exact same thing. We know her dad left her family when she was really young, and she always used to picture him coming back and pulling up in a limo and taking her and her mom away from there because there had to be something better for her than Roswell, New Mexico. And Michael says, substitute a spaceship for a limo, and that's pretty much it. And I like that it's true. Even though they're experiencing different things in different ways, they have these common elements. No matter who you are or where you are in the world, emotions are emotions. Everyone feels love and hate and jealousy and regret and guilt and fear and joy and happiness. These things are universal. And I think that's what the sci-fi in general does. It's a filter for us to see the world. It's a way for us to express our thoughts and opinions while being one level removed from the truth. When it's an alien instead of a person, you know, when it's another planet instead of Earth, it's easier to tell these stories because they don't feel quite so close to us. But yet I think that's why they resonate so strongly with people is because it's cutting to the heart of the issue. And if they can look past the silly, goofy, wackiness of it, there are really strong themes that run through this show. Anyways, after this sweet moment, Maria says that she's tired. It's been a long day. She was not expecting an impromptu road trip. But remember, there is only one bed. There are some good reoccurring lines about this. When they first got to the room, they were both hungry, so Michael goes to the vending machine to get food. And Maria asks him, Oh, you get hungry just like us? And he says, Of course. And then she asks, What other human urges do you get? And Michael comes in really close to her, leans down and says, not if you were the last woman on earth. So now at the moment that they're having to choose the bed and if they're going to share it or what, Maria goes up to him, gets really close after this sweet moment between the two of them and says, not if you were the last alien on earth. She gets the bed, he gets the floor, as it should be. Meanwhile, Max, Isabel, and Liz are on their trail They stop briefly at a rest stop to grab some food, and when they're there, they notice that strange man in a suit again. He's pretending to use another payphone, and there's a guy behind him like, hey, buddy, if you're not going to use it, let let me go. I have a call to make. And so Max, ever so smoothly, walks by the nice car that he's driving and lets all the air out of the tires. And then they take off again. They need to get ahead of him. They need to lose this guy. As they're driving, though, They hear reports on the radio that an 18-wheeler has jackknifed on the very road that they are traveling. If Michael and Maria are ahead of that, there's no way they're going to catch them in time. They have to try, though, so they keep going. And I'd like to point out that this is now car incident number three or four, depending on how you look at it. Maria was carjacked, then the car broke down, then Max flattens a car tire, and then an 18-wheeler jackknifes on the highway. This is number four, people. This is what I mean when there are a lot of coincidental incidents with cars. This is what I'm talking about. It's super convenient. 
Because as the trio are driving towards Michael and Maria, they're stopped at this police stop, which happens to be exactly where Michael and Maria broke down. While Isabel is off investigating how long it's going to take before it clears, Max and Liz have a really sweet moment. He apologizes for everything that Michael's doing and says they're not all the same. Liz knows that, though, and apologizes for Kyle. She didn't think that her boring, stupid life could ever get him in trouble, but he says it's not stupid, and even says, my life didn't start until I told you the truth that day. She kind of felt the same way, too. And then he leans in and puts his arm kind of past her, and you can see Liz thinks he's going to kiss her, but then he fixes something in the car roof. There was a tear in the canvas, and he just basically sewed it back together. That's when Isabel comes back to the car and notices Maria's car on the side of the road. That's how coincidental this roadblock is. It happened to be exactly next to where the car breaks down, which is exactly next to this motel. Ridiculous. Anyways, the gang decides they have to investigate. And they consider knocking on the door, but instead Isabel just holds her finger over where that chain lock is, and they bust into the room. Maria is so frightened that she rolls off the bed onto Michael, so that's what they see when everyone turns on the light, is Maria on top of Michael on the floor. And Liz is like, I thought we needed to rescue you, but I guess you're fine. And Maria denies it. No, 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 no. And Michael just plays it off like, oh, now we don't have to lie. At least they know the truth. And she starts like hitting him. And Isabel believes her, though. Max is still just pissed. He says once again he has to clean up Michael's mess. Michael can't just wait around for them, though. They're happy in their pretend life with their families in Roswell. He needs to find out the truth. Or everyone else in this room is... <gasps> da, da, da. Now, I haven't even mentioned it yet. The other people on their tail, on everyone's tail, are suspicious Kyle and Sheriff Valenti. We get another really sweet scene. After Liz abandons Kyle at the crashdown, he goes back home, and he's stewing about it in his room when Sheriff Valenti gets home from work, and he asks Kyle what's up. He's trying to track down Liz. He starts calling Maria's house and Liz's house the Evans house. And this is when we see Sheriff Valenti walk in and he's overheard these conversations. Kyle tells him that Liz took off with Max and Isabel. And it's a bit of a heart to heart between father and son. And yet the sheriff is playing this other angle. He's wanting to know about Max and he's using his son for information. Kyle says he doesn't know where they went. And Sheriff Valenti says he forgot something at the office and that he's got to go out really quickly again. Before he gets out the door, though, Kyle asks him what's going on. Obviously, he thinks Max is a bad kid, but why? What's he doing? Is he a danger? Because if that's the case, then he needs to protect Liz. He still cares about her. He doesn't want to see her hurt. And if he can prove that Max is a bad guy, maybe he'll get her back. At the office, Sheriff Valenti is trying to track down these kids. He calls Highway Patrol and asks if there's been any sightings of the Jeep. And he says there hasn't been any from Max or Isabel. But they did write a ticket to a Michael Guerin and Amy DeLuca, who are also teens from Roswell. The sheriff asks him where was that, and he says, South on 285. And he pulls out his map, and he runs his finger along, and he sees a little further down, 
Marathon, Texas. That's right. He remembers that the news article Michael was printing out was all about that, so he knows immediately just where to go. And the race is on. Who's going to get there first? Are they going to get there at all? And the scariest part is that these kids don't even know it's coming. Anyways, back to our heroes. Kyle. He knew where they were going after all. Once he was on the right road, he just followed them to the roadblock. And then they left the door open while they were having that whole conversation. So he literally just walks in and he's like, what? Are you afraid I'll learn your secrets? And he's so aggressive and he's been so close this entire time that Michael just tosses him back with his powers. Kyle like flies across the room and when he lands, he's like, what are you? No one could throw him across the room like that. He picks himself up, though, dusts himself off, and just says he wants to take Liz out of there. He doesn't really even care what they're up to, but he doesn't want her to be a part of it. Max won't let her go, though. When Kyle grabs her wrist, he steps forward. Liz is really offended, though, by both of them. She's not Kyle's girlfriend. This is none of his business. She's not going with him. But she also doesn't need Max defending her like that. Kyle's had enough, though. He's been trying to look out for her. He wants to help her. He cares about her. And his dad even said that Max is bad news. He's trying to help. But if she doesn't want it, then you know what? She can suffer the consequences. So he leaves. At this point, though, Liz has had enough, too. She demands that there be no more secrets. They're a part of it now. And Max, Isabel, and Michael can't keep these things from them. Isabel tells them if they share the truth, then they'll be accomplices. But Liz wants to know everything. So they tell her about robbing the sheriff. They tell her about the book, about the dome, about the flashes and the key, and Marathon, Texas. And about how they might be able to find out about their home. And Liz's reaction is to say, Then what are we waiting for? So the roadblocks cleared up, they all pile in the jeep, and we cut to a field in Marathon, Texas. We see the dome, which they say looks just like Michael's drawing, but it kind of doesn't. It looks like an actual tent, like tarp material, but then some of these triangle sections look like they're like tin foil. It's not quite as impressive as I thought it would be, but it works almost like Doctor Who's TARDIS. When they go inside, it's much larger than it appears from the outside. So I definitely feel like we went to some sort of sound stage. And that's the biggest thing they could actually build, but then the sound stage was larger. So they're like, yeah, whatever, we'll just shoot it here. Anyways, as they're walking up to this building, Michael pulls out the key and he puts it in the lock, but it doesn't work. And you can see how crestfallen he is. He had put all his hopes on this one opportunity. This is the only piece of evidence he's ever had. And it didn't work. Max uses his power to open the door anyway and consoles him by saying maybe the key opens something inside. When they go into this magical room that's larger on the inside, they see that it's been abandoned and that it's already been ransacked. Things are all over the floor. Papers are strewn everywhere. Things are broken and on top of that, there's a thick layer of dust. They've come all that way, though, so they have to look around. They tell Michael to touch the key again in case he gets a flash, but nothing happens. Until Maria walks over and basically kind of like holds his arm and says, Try it again. And guess what? This time, whoosh, whoosh, flash. 
and he sees a secret room. So they start looking for a lever, and he runs his hand along a stone wall. What? I thought they were living in a tarp. Where's the stone wall inside this? I don't think this makes sense, you guys. But he turns back a fake stone panel, and there's a keyhole inside. This is the door that his key opens. So a secret trap door opens, and they go underneath the floorboards that look like a western saloon, like they're thick planks, but there's definite gaps in between them, so the light is streaming through the floor. Again, really interesting lighting choices in this show. And this secret room looks more like an office because there's way more papers. The other area looked like a living space. It's at this exact moment that we cut to upstairs and we see cowboy boots walking across the planks. We zoom up past a pair of jeans to Sheriff Valenti. He had that paper. He knew where they were going the whole time. So as soon as Kyle told him that he saw Max, Isabel, and Liz take off, he just hopped in his car and went right away. He didn't even need to stop. He was probably only slowed down by the jackknife truck and the fact that they had a head start on him. Anyway, he's crossing the room and he starts looking around and searching and he must have seen their car outside. They were parked in a field. There's nothing else around. They didn't try and hide it. They didn't walk in. So he has to know that they're there and you just see him walking across the floor, looking around and then boom, he's smashed in the back of the head by Agent Topolsky. That's right. She's been in on it, too. She's been surveilling him. The man in the car might have had flat tires, but they got someone else on that trail. Maybe she even followed the sheriff himself. And so he's knocked out on the floor. Topolsky's upstairs. All the kids are still hiding in the basement. And then dot, 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 to be continued. That's right. Our very first two-parter. And I can't wait to talk about the second part. Ah, so I'm going to try and bring it to you guys sooner rather than later. You might have noticed that I already released one bonus Friday episode because I can't wait. I'm loving this show too much and I have no idea how long it's going to be on Netflix. So I want to get through these as quickly as possible, yet giving you time to write in. That's right, the crashdownpodcast at gmail.com. If you have thoughts about this episode, about the next, about the characters or the seasons or the sets, anything at all, what about these mysteries? Do you think they're set up well? Are you on the edge of your seat? Do you remember what happens? I want to hear about it. You can also check me out on Twitter. It's the Crashdown Pod. I want to hear anything you have to say. I feel like there's so much more to get into here, but I think I'm going to wait till next time. So dot, 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 guys to be continued.